This is Seattle's Morning News. Dave Ross with Colleen O'Brien. Awe. A-W-E. Maybe one of the keys, not just to your emotional health, but your physical health. And we're talking with Dacker Keltner, who is the author of a book titled Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. And we should begin by the definition of awe. So how do you define it? It's a challenge, and people have been grappling with this for centuries. Uh, But how we define awe is the feeling you have when you encounter a vast mystery that you can't make sense of with your current knowledge. And that could mean almost anything, like a sunrise, like uh, an exciting football game, things like that. Exactly right. I mean, so... Awe is this feeling uh, when we encounter vast mysteries, but what is it about? And we actually gathered stories of awe from 26 different countries, uh, over 2,600 people. And they just wrote about what awe was about. And what we found, Dave, and it's I think it's actually really inspiring, is around the world, people find awe in what I call the eight wonders of life in this book, Awe, which is the moral beauty of other people, nature collective effervescence, like cheering at a football game, music, visual design, spiritual practice, and then big ideas, right? Like the idea of evolution. And and then the life and death cycle when we see lives being born and we see lives ending also produces awe. So there are eight domains in which we can encounter vast mysteries that bring us all. What would uh, where would di- discovery fall? Because when I was uh, yeah. you know researching to to interview you about awe, what came to mind for me is how my children reintroduced yeah. awe into my life. I noticed at the time my now nine year old she was four, and we were in Hawaii, and we were trying to walk to the beach, and I was so focused on getting to the beach, which is about four blocks away. And she kept stopping to look at every flower and go, look at this, mom. It'd be exhausting. Yeah, and it it was because I was so focused on the beach. But what she was teaching me was to stop and and have awe at the beauty of these simple things like flowers. Yeah, you know, Rachel Carson, the great environmentalist, has this wonderful essay, Teach Your Child to Wonder, and just how you capitalize on a child's just natural capacity to discover, to explore, to find awe in almost everything. And to your question, Colleen, discovery is really kind of a basic process that awe animates, right? When we feel awe by the sea or looking up at the the trees in Seattle or sky or, or at a football game, whatever that may be, our mind kicks into gear and starts exploring, testing hypotheses, asking questions that leads, as we see in children, to this remarkable growth of knowledge through discovery. And you talk about the importance of walking and where to walk and how to, because sometimes when you have this feeling of awe, it it sort of springs from nowhere. It it sort of uh, overwhelms you. Mm -hmm. But what you're trying to do is help people purposely seek it out, correct? So tell me, how, how do you walk with awe in mind? Thanks for uh, asking that question, Dave. You know, we often think that awe is rare and extraordinary, maybe even requires a lot of money, right? Fly somewhere, Mm -hmm. uh, have a rare encounter where you're hugging the Dalai Lama or whatever the case may be. (laughs) But in point of fact, our research suggests people feel awe a couple of times a week. There are a lot of health benefits to awe. And what that has really inspired in me is the desire to 
kind of develop simple ways that people can cultivate awe, right? One of them is in walking, and we call it the awe walk. Very simply, during the pandemic, Americans were walking at historic levels. We were all walking outside. And all you have to do to find awe is add some simple instructions, like go somewhere that you're curious about, about that brought you some awe. For me, a park where I push my daughters in swings, right? Mm-hmm. Um, look around you. Look at small things, the leaf on the ground. Look at large things, the storm system moving across the sky. Um, try to approach where you're walking without ideas like a child would with wonder. And those simple instructions, when we add them to the weekly walk of people who are 75 years old or older, actually led them to feel happier about life and less distressed on a daily basis. So just walking and and looking around and being open rather than driven by a schedule or a, a, a goal leads to awe and its many benefits. And it sounds like it actually releases the chemical oxytocin, the love hormone, which how did you discover that? Yeah, that, you know, there are a lot of physiological benefits, if you will, of awe. Uh, And one of them is the activation of the release of oxytocin, which is a chemical that floats in your brain, also in your body. And there are a couple of studies that show that awe being inspired by nature or the moral beauty and kindness of others leads to the release of oxytocin. And we know oxytocin has a lot of benefits. It makes you more empathetic, more curious about people. Uh, You share more. You're a better community member. So Here's a physiological effect of awe, so hard to define, that has a lot of immediate benefits to our lives. Talking about the physiological effect, the, the thing yeah. that surprised me was, yeah. was, that, was the work that you did on how heartbeats synchronize during sporting events. What? Yeah. Can you explain that? <laughs> you know, it's amazing. I was recently um, doing a documentary with this British crew, and they were watching the English uh, football team in the World Cup. And literally, the minute England scored, they were all 12 people synchronized into one being. And, you know, people have this sense of feeling awe and collective joy at football games and soccer matches and baseball games and the like. And scientists have found that in a lot of these, what I call the collective effervescence source of awe, sports, music, singing together, dancing together, basic human activities, what happens is your body's synchronized. Your heart rates start going at the same beat. Your brain activation patterns go at the same level. We studied high school kids and veterans rafting together, which requires a lot of synchronization. Through the process of rafting, their cortisol levels, their stress hormones were synchronized. Collective sources of awe, so abundant around us, right? So precious to us synchronize us and turn us into uh, a community, a collective sense of who we are. Gosh, that makes so... I'm thinking back to the Wembley Stadium concert I went to uh-huh. for the Foo Fighters, and there's 80,000 uh. people there. And I remember, you're, you're, you're reminding me, I remember looking around, and we were all on our feet, and it was like we were one big wave, and I just felt connected to each one of those people, even though they were 80,000 strangers. That must have been awe. It was awe, wow. and it is collective, and it, you know, It's amazing that people have actually studied human waves. You can get human waves going almost anywhere, you know, and it takes about 20 people. We invented it here in Seattle, you know. Yeah. Is that true? (laughs) Yeah. That's that's the legend anyway. But 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 the point is that this is a real thing. So so that even when when you see the wave develop at a Mariners game, 
there's a, a, a physiological effect to that is what you're saying. And, and it goes really deep, Dave. You know, little kids synchronize through music with adults around them. Uh, if they synchronize with an adult, like we've been talking about, they cooperate more with that adult. This is a deep human tendency to synchronize and to become part of a collective that the different sources of awe, like music or sports, or choir singing, uh, activate. And, and it's to, to many benefits uh, to the human condition. Do you have a favorite moment of awe in your life that you think about? You know, um, one of the privileges of writing this book, Awe, studying Awe for 15 years, having these kind of rich conversations like this one is I find awe, you know, in so many places, you know, be it backpacking with my daughters or uh, being at a football game with my Cal friends or listening to a favorite musician with my, you know, friends or even one of my favorites is really subtle is just walking out through the streets of a city and noticing how we're all part of this collective effort to be human beings. So <laughs> awe is all around us. And, and I feel lucky to find it in so many places. Um, yeah, sounds like it. Now, I'm curious, <laughs> because to be in awe, all of these instances yeah. we're talking about, you also have to be present. And it is so yeah. hard to be present yeah. in today's world with our cell phones in front of our faces. So can you talk to me a little bit about the conflict between screen time and awe, or is there a conflict? Thank you, Colleen. You know, we um, we surveyed people from 26 countries, and we asked them a very simple thing, write about an experience of awe. And then we had translators, uh, speakers of 20 languages, translate these 2,600 stories of awe from, all, from every kind of country around the world. Um, and they mentioned things like moral beauty and nature and collective stuff, which we've been talking about. Not a single person mentioned looking at a smartphone. <laughs> <laughs> they, they never mentioned being in front of a screen. And the screen is, is the antithesis of awe. It is small. It narrows your attention. And it largely makes it, you think about you. Mm-hmm. And awe, as Jane Goodall said, is when we feel amazed by things outside of the self. And so, you know, when people ask me, like, how do I find awe? I say, get outside, get moving, think about the goodness of other people and get off your screens. It is very hard to find it on screens. And, you know, any parent or teacher who's been around this younger generation, so saturated in screen life, uh, is is sensing they, they have lost this sense of wondering about things, the mysteries, the awe. That is such a deep human need. You also talk about rituals and the importance yeah. of rituals, but not just that, but the the reality of them. So, for, yes. so for example, I mean, uh, I, I I go to church every Sunday. It's a, mm. it's a ritual. Uh, I do it primarily because I, I guess I'm a, I'm a cradle Catholic. But there there are moments where you know th- there's awe there, but it's it it's not just psychological. I mean, you you talk about um, fire walking rituals. Yeah where the emotional thing apparently provides yeah, you know, foot protection. Have this. <laughs> you know. Wow. That's what I'm trying to figure out. How real is this? It's very real, right? You know, humans have this deep tendency to ritualize things, to take our social patterns of behavior like eating, gathering together, making sounds together, working together, 
and ritualize them, turn them into patterns of sacred activity that we're all aware of, like going to a church or for a lot of very devoted football fans, going to a Steelers game or a Seahawks game, right? You have your rituals. Mm. And and those rituals do a lot of good work through awe. They, they strengthen your heart rate. They activate your immune system in healthy ways. They shift your brain chemistry uh, in ways that allow people to tolerate more pain, to firewalk, to transcend the sense of self, right? And to, and all of its concerns about desire and pain and so forth. So rituals are a vital relative of awe and much needed in our, our life today to re- return to these ways of finding patterns of relating to others. Do you have any uh, insight into, so for the last year, year and a half, I've been doing sensory deprivation floats. And it, cool. it, yeah, where it, for people who don't know what that is, you kind of float in about 10 inches of highly salted water. You can't drown. And it's completely dark, completely silent. And you're just with your thoughts. And it has given me awe. Would you say that that is close to what you're talking about with rituals and being able to, you know, uh, cut off pain receptors or just reach a different state in which you are experiencing awe? What a what a terrific insight, Colleen. And I love the example. You know, um, we move around our day so much dominated by the ego or the self, right? What are my goals? How am I getting them? What's my status? What's my reputation? What's my bank account? And we need that self to navigate the world, but we also need to quiet down that self so we can be amazed by things outside of ourselves, you know, ecosystems and nature and pieces of music and social communities. So any kind of activity that quiets the self will open us up to awe, Uh right? Um, Sensory deprivation tanks, by definition, quiet down how I perceive my self-focused world and open my mind up to other modes of consciousness. I take saunas, which, yeah, you know, <laughs> um, are really hot and get me out of my sense of self. And suddenly I feel like, man, I love all these people around me. We're part of this community. <laughs> so you that's know? not quite and, ritual, though. Floating and, and saunas, though, that's not ritual. That's something entirely different that activates awe. Right. But a lot of these sources of awe have this common element or ingredient, which is quiet down what Aldous Huxley called that nagging, interfering voice of the self, right? Quiet it down and let your mind open up to being, sensing you're part of a community, sensing you're related to elements of an an ecosystem, right? And that's what we experience in sensory deprivation tanks is we take away the senses that give us a sense of self and then other forms of consciousness arise, which have a different quality to them. Oh, yeah. I don't know about the sauna though. I I, I did. Uh, <laughs> I've only been to a real ritual sauna once in Finland, and I spent most of the time making sure my towel didn't slip. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there are other issues going on in the sauna. Let's be honest. Yeah, you you can be alone in a sauna if you choose, but <laughs> there we go. Yeah. No sense of community in the sauna, Dave. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, there was, but we didn't want to get it to be. Uh, uh, it was going to get. It was going to get too communal very quickly unless we got control of the towels. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Dacker Keltner is the author of Awe, the New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. A pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you guys so much.